As, as Aaron just prayed, I would just like to introduce uh, Matthew 23 for a moment. I won't have slides this morning uh, to look at. I'll have some discussion questions that we can uh, touch on and reflect on toward the end. But I do, I do want to, to hit on a few things. If you'll turn with me to, to Matthew 23. As I was, as I was uh, reading and, and preparing uh, for this morning, I asked myself, what, what is a woe, right? In, in this passage, um, from, from verse 13 through 236, Jesus talks about woes, and it's the, the seven woes. And so I had, I had to ask, what does woe even mean? Uh, according to the dictionary, uh, woe means great sorrow or distress or an exclamation of grief. And so I want to, I want to like take that definition and just carry it with us as we, as we read. So great sorrow or distress, an exclamation of grief. Um, with that being said, um, I want to I also open us in prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to, to be with us this morning. Uh, Father, you are supreme over all things, uh, moving or unmoving, alive or dead. You, O oh God, are worthy of worship and worthy of your name being praised this morning. I come to you asking that your spirit would fill this place and the hearts of your chosen ones sitting out in front of me. I pray for myself and the words that I speak, that they would be tinted with your, with your spirit and that they would be truthful and right according to your word. Uh, be not far from us this morning so that we would appropriately give all honor, glory, and praise to Christ Jesus, your son. Uh, Lord, as I read your word, Search my heart and purge me of all unrighteousness and use your word to cleanse me and may the same be done for our class this morning. In your holy, holy, holy name, amen. All right, uh, whether you have a digital copy or, or print copy of the Bible, uh, if you still haven't found uh, Matthew 23, please find it and then we will. I'm just going to read it. <clears throat> all right, so then Jesus said to the crowds, and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all of their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi or teacher by others. But you are not to be called a rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant." Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves." Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold 
or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the inside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now let us pray. Uh, Father, in response to reading your word, uh, reveal in our hearts, uh, reveal in my heart the ways we are hypocritical, uh, reveal the works that we do to be seen by others, reveal the heavy burdens that we place on others' shoulders, reveal the ways that we talk, dress, act, and work in which our heart is not right, and in light of the woes, the warnings spoken by Jesus towards the scribes and the Pharisees, May we stand in fear of Jesus' anger toward hypocrisy and the sin in our lives. 
Father, grant us a greater fear of you and greater hatred of, sin, of the sin in our lives. Amen. Um, one thing that I do want to, to hit on as, as I go and as I, as I teach this morning, um, there, there's going to be parts of this message and, and this, this uh, teaching that will apply directly to people who are currently uh, followers of Jesus. And um, it is my belief that there is some in here that are not um, a part of uh, his, his chosen ones. And so I want to, I want to be very clear that uh, there is much of, much of this that, that, that does apply to those that are filled with the Spirit of God. And I would be remiss if I um, were to subject someone that is not um, following Jesus to the same, to the same words. So I want to be very clear with that. And so, and so not so many years ago, while living, I'm going to just give a short story here. Uh, not so many years ago, while living with my parents in Birmingham, my routine consisted of playing outside, uh, reading tons of books, climbing trees, working on my homeschool work, for I was homeschooled, and reading large quantities of, large quantities of the Bible. Uh, during that time, I went to a vacation Bible school where I was confronted with the question, do you want to become a Christian? A check, yes or no, with little check boxes. Uh, using the brains that God gave me, and based on my understanding of the Bible, combined with what my parents told me, I believe that it was in my best interest to say yes. Because to, to say no was to say yes to hell. Uh, now at this point in the story, you might praise God, but the question I had to confront may have been posed to you, and you want to rejoice for the decision that I made back then. And that question like, do you want to become a Christian? I just want to bring that back. Um, but I want to caution you. My intention in that day was to escape hell, not to give Jesus all authority in my life. I had slapped the title Christian on my back and walked and talked as a Christian would but only around my quote-unquote Christian friends. I had become empty on the inside while looking pretty on the outside. I did not understand what it meant to follow Jesus. Referring back to verses 1-7, through seven, and I'll read them again, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tap heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Looking back at those verses, we must consider this question. Am I who I say I am? Do I do the things that I say to do? And, and this one, is there any part of me that does not line up with what Jesus teaches? Now you may ask, why is, that, why is it that we must compare ourselves with what Jesus teaches? Or something similar? And the answer to that is because Jesus is the only man only human who ever walked perfectly on this earth. And he delivers his comments 
in this chapter towards the leading Bible teachers and Bible scholars of his day. Did you, did you grasp that? These words are addressed to people who know the Bible. They've memorized it. The Tanakh, or the Old Testament Scriptures, these people knew far better than I. Um, and I would posit that they know it better than, than Brother Aaron, or Brother Al, or Brother Brian. Jesus is leveling these woes at these people. He's leveling these comments at these people. And, and just, to, to, just to bring you back to the context here, in verse 1, Jesus is talking to the crowds and to his disciples. That's, that is the audience that he's talking to. And he's warning them about these people. Not only, not only did these, these, these leaders know the Bible, they also taught it. So they were in positions to teach the Bible. They were, they were knowledgeable, and they were dead in obedience in themselves. If you'll look back at verse 2 and 3, if you have your Bibles with you, Jesus is recorded saying that the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. And he says, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. If you'll hone in on the words, So do and observe. Whatever they tell you, Jesus is addressing the crowds and his disciples and telling them to do what the scribes and the Pharisees are telling them to do. Let me say that again. Jesus tells his own disciples to do what the scribes and Pharisees say to do. Does that shock you as it does me? Like, why does Jesus tell the crowds and his disciples to obey what the scribes and the Pharisees say? Think about it. I'll give your tables, and I want to, I want to do this interactively here. Why does Jesus tell his disciples to obey what the scribes and Pharisees say? I'll give you 30 seconds, and then I'll just pull a table, and whoever wants to answer can answer. And so you have 30 seconds, and I'll, just, I'll bring us back in in 30 seconds. All right, that's 30 seconds. Who's got an answer? That's a, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Anything else? We've got more than just Andrew in this room. Mm. Mm. Yeah, these guys, they memorized Scripture. They were reading Scripture in the synagogues. So the things that these leaders were teaching was Scripture. The truth. These guys were literally teaching it. So why does Jesus scold, them, like scold the Pharisees and the scribes so fiercely in verse 13 through 36 with what is commonly referred to as the seven woes? I mean, Jesus like, tears into them. And again, a woe is, 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 is something that communicates suffering or, or grief. It's, it's, it's distress. Jesus is like just distressed 
about this? And is, is, it, is it not because these Pharisees and these scribes were the ones not doing what they told others to believe? And then, and then like, therefore, Jesus tells the crowds to not do the works they do in, in verse 3. Because these, these scribes and these Pharisees, they preach, but they do not practice. And so, and so what are these works that these Pharisees do that Jesus is talking about? What, what is this? What are these things that they're not practicing? So if you'll look with me to verse 4, it says, They tie up heavy burdens. Again, this is the Pharisees and the scribes. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. These heavy burdens uh, can reference the, the extra biblical limitations that the religious leaders added to God's gracious decrees to Moses back in what we refer to as the Pentateuch, but they refer to as the Torah. These, these, these limitations became traditions, and, and these uh, Pharisees and scribes or tradition holders, they were ruthless about everybody doing these things. Um, you'll see later, earlier, throughout Scripture, where these Pharisees will question Jesus of why he's doing something. And oftentimes, it's something that's going directly against one of their traditions and not against the Word of God itself. Another one of the, the, the works, if you'll look with me to verse 5, um, the Pharisees do all of their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And Jesus couldn't be more clear that they, the scribes and Pharisees, do all their deeds to be seen by others. They do all of their deeds to be seen by others. There's, from what this communicates and from how I understand it, there's not a single thing they do that they don't do if it's not to be seen by others. And, and here, it's, it's talking about the Jewish traditional clothing. So you have that, that word phylacteries and fringes. Those, um, those things are, are pieces of what the Jews wore. And in, the, in, the, in, the, in this context, Jesus is saying that the Pharisees and the scribes make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now we must understand, Jesus is Jewish. Jesus would have worn clothing with phylacteries and fringes. The difference is that the scribes and Pharisees wanted to be seen. So they made their clothing more prominent and more distinguished. If you, if you think with me, I mean, if you were to walk into a room and somebody was wearing the nicest clothing or the best clothing, um, and in this case, the, the scribes would, would walk into the marketplaces and you, you could tell who they were because they had the, the, the broadest phylacteries and the longest fringes. It was like, okay, yeah, you're, you're religious. You know, you know the Bible. Um, another, another one of, of those works uh, that Jesus talks about is it found in verse 6 through 7. Um, they love, the Pharisees love the place of honor at feasts 
and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. If you'll look with me to, I'm just going to, I'm going to jump to Matthew 6, 1 through 2. Um, if you'll flip with me. Um, 1 through 2 says, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What I want to, what I want to pull from, from Matthew 6 is that Jesus has not changed who He is. He's not changed His message. He has been consistent with how He views hypocrisy since the beginning of His ministry. And in verse six through seven, like what is like what, what, what does like Jesus mean when he says that these Pharisees, like what does it mean to love the place of honor at feasts? At first glance, the place of honor doesn't mean a hill of beans to me. Honor in, in our culture is not. Seen, I, don't, I just don't. I don't think about it a whole lot. Uh, but think about this. Imagine that you're invited to a birthday party of, of a popular kid, either at school or church. Imagine you're there at this birthday party, but you, you don't really know this kid, but you were invited anyways. Imagine that everybody at this party is crowding around this, this popular kid. And, and as, as everybody moves toward the table where, where the cakes and the food are going to be eaten, if you can imagine a, a long table, a rectangular table, if you imagine on one side um, where everybody's crowding around and, and you're, you and, and many others are there just hanging out as it would, like, and you find a place just somewhere at the table, but, but not, not close to the, to the popular kid as it might be awkward for you to sit close to the front and, t- and take the place of, of one of the kid's closest friends. Now, this may not be true for you, but this analogy is true for me, that would be how I would be thinking. And so, and, and in this analogy, it might be shameful and embarrassing for you to be asked by one of this kid's closest friends who you are. Who are you? And why are you there? And in this analogy, you, you just, you sit away from these people. You don't, and this, this again, I'm, I'm placing myself in this story, like I would sit away. I would, I would not want to be asked those questions. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes would have done everything to sit close to the popular kid. Why? Just to be seen and associated and recognized with the one being celebrated. Do you see? In like manner... The scribes and the Pharisees love the best seats in the synagogues. They love the best seats in church and being recognized and announced 
while out and about and being called teacher by others. It says they love being called teacher. After uh, verses 6 and 7, Matthew records that Jesus then commands those listening by saying in verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi. Again, Jesus is talking to the crowds and his disciples. But you are not to be called rabbi, which means teacher. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth. For you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And as I was reading uh, and preparing uh, for this morning, I stumbled across a, a quote on pride. Uh, this, is, this is by Fritz Sherry, um, and, I, and I thought it was, it was good and, and necessary for this, this morning to think about. Um, what I would like to do as I read this, I want you to think about some of the questions posed in this quote, and we will address them later. All right, open quote. I am far from humble, and day after day, I have to keep on going to the Lord about this. Every day, the Holy Spirit is helping me to examine what are my motives for doing even the most meaningless things. You can give, you can help, you can read to disabled kids, you can do the kindest acts. But do you do it with pride? Do you do it to be the man or the woman? Do you do it to be seen as nice? Even though you conceal it, do you hope people will see you? Do you look down upon others? If you did, would you admit that you struggle with looking down upon others? Is everything and everyone a competition to you? Do you think that you are better than others or entitled to more than others because of how smart you are, how you look, what you own, how much you make, your achievements, etc.? We can struggle with pride in so many different ways and never notice it. Do you always want to be right? Do you defend the Bible with love? Or do you just do it to win a debate? Would you be quick to admit that you're wrong? Sometimes humility is saying, I don't know when a question is posed that you don't have the answer to. Pride would rather tell someone an incorrect answer or a guess than to say, I don't know. Many pastors do this because they are seen as extremely knowledgeable and very spiritual and they feel like it would be embarrassing to say, I don't know. We must learn to take the focus off of ourselves and put it on the Lord, which will result in more fruits of humility. Now, I confess that after, after reading that, 
that I've been convicted of saying I don't, I don't know. I've not, well, I've been convicted of saying, of not saying it. Right? I've been convicted of not saying I don't know within the past week. And again, I hope to have some time left over where we will be able to consider some of these questions. Now, taking the, the definition of, um, of woe, and we're about to, we're about to step into to some of the woes, I want, to, I want to be very clear with something this morning. Jesus says, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you, are, and you are all brothers. And he says, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. And he says, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Now what Jesus is not saying is that your earthly father, like you cannot call your dad on earth father. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that do not, do not call someone your father and make him as God and give him the authority of God. God has given your earthly fathers here on earth authority over you. But the father in heaven but the Father in heaven has ultimate authority over your life since before you were born until the day that you die. And Jesus is not also saying that you can't, you can't call one of your teachers at school a teacher because they've been set over you. But what he is saying is that God is your teacher. Jesus is your teacher. Jesus says in verse 11, the, the greatest among you shall be your servant. If you'll remember, Jesus served his disciples. He humbled himself. He was the perfect example of that. You also must remember that Jesus is addressing the crowds and his disciples in this passage. He is warning them to not be like the Pharisees and the scribes. From, from what I understand, he's not talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He's talking about them and he's warning about them, but he's not talking to them. He talked to them earlier in verse 22, or chapter 22. You can see that. And so what I want you to take uh, from this morning as, as I'm talking to, to teenagers and, and youth, Right, as, as y'all are still underneath your parents' authority, I want to be very clear that your faith has to be your own. It cannot be based on your parents. Your faith cannot be based on your friends, on who you know. It can't be based on how many times you share the gospel or invite people to church. Your faith must be your own. Is your faith your own? What is faith? So turn with me to Ephesians 2. 
I want you to hold that place and then find Hebrews 11. All right, so Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, my friends, faith is a gift of God. Faith is not works. You do not do anything to earn faith. That is not what faith is. The Word of God clearly defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for. We hope in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. If you remember the the short story that I told you earlier where I went to vacation Bible school and was confronted with the question, do you want to become a Christian? If you'll remember what I said, I said yes. But I said yes because I knew the Bible and I knew what hell was. But my hope was not in Christ Jesus. It was only until later where I was, I was confronted with it again. And this was, I mean, it was probably six or seven years later when that question was, was presented to me again. And the answer was, by biblical standards, no. For what I had done is I had went to this vacation Bible school, took on the label Christian, went and got baptized, didn't know what it meant to follow Jesus, had no idea what discipleship was, and I slipped back into the world. I told myself that it was okay. Now sure, I reacted to some circumstances and sin. Things happened. But the truth of the matter was, I did everything to be seen by others. I served in, in, in our audio, a sound booth at the church that I went to when I was younger. That's what I did. I knew all the pastors, all the deacons. I knew my name. When asked a question, I knew the answer. For we had read the Bible in, 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 in our home. But I was dead. I was dead. And I want, I want you to know that Jesus is addressing the crowds and his own disciples. We must... We must look at our lives. I'm, I must look at my life and consider these words. I must look at them and, and ask myself the question, am I anything like a Pharisee? Do I do anything to be seen by others? And the answer is yeah. There is things in my life that I do to be seen by others. And Jesus doesn't have... 
he's sanctifying me or he's cleansing me of those things. But now that we're in, in Christ Jesus, we can still choose the flesh. I must confess that I often do. All right, so if you'll, if you'll find um, verse 13 with me, and we'll step into to, um, the, the first woe. Um, and, my, and my hope here is that um, I'm just going to pause and give us some time to reflect. And so as I, I may not cover all of these, and that's okay. All right, so verse 13. You shut the kingdom of heaven. Well, he says, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. Uh, so the first woe is, Jesus is saying that these, that these scribes and Pharisees shut the kingdom in he, in, of heaven in people's faces. For they neither enter themselves, nor allow anyone else to go in. Um, and if we, if we, if we know... Uh, we know anything, and we've we've studied Matthew for for quite some time here. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. The Jews knew about the Messiah, and and the Messiah is the door into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is like he is rebuking the Pharisees and calling the Pharisees out, and the, and he's telling the crowd and the disciples that the Pharisees and scribes know about the Messiah. The Christ. And these Pharisees and the scribes, they shut the door. Or in another way, in, an, in other words, they prevent people from knowing the Messiah. The sad truth is that these relation of the Bible that I have, it says that there are many manuscripts that that do not have a verse 14. And there are some that do. And so there's a there's a footnote. Um, it says that the translation, or it says that, um, that there, there is another woe that Jesus says. Um, however, the, the majority of the transcripts or the manuscripts do not have that, that woe, and therefore we have the translation that we have. And so, reading verse 15, uh, this, is, this is another woe. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And so the second woe, um, he's, he's saying that these, these Pharisees, they go anywhere. Or they travel across sea and across land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. As I, was, as I was reading this and as I was studying it, I had to ask myself the question, what is a proselyte? What does that even mean? I've heard the, I've heard the word before. I've heard the word proselytize. But what does it mean? Uh, and so having looked it up, uh, a proselyte, according to the New Oxford American Dictionary, is a person who has converted from one opinion, religion, or party to another, especially recently. And so what is the significance of that? Why does Jesus give a warning, right, this woe 
of suffering, or he's in distress, to the crowds and disciples about the scribes and the Pharisees' method of what we might call evangelizing. Right? These guys are going out, they're making converts. If to make a proselyte is to make a convert, then what we see is a bunch of religious leaders who make more Pharisees. They make more Jewish converts. What they have done is they have convinced people to come to their side and consequently become whitewashed tombs with them, as we'll see later. Let me be very clear. The Pharisees and scribes traveled to make converts. And their message was a message of burden and law-keeping, not of hope and freedom. Now, if they went to make converts, we must ask ourselves, do we even go? They traveled and made converts, so we must ask ourselves, do we even go? Realizing that it is God, through His Spirit, who brings dead people's bones to life. So therefore, we go, and God does the real work within the soul of man, not us. If you'll look back at the passage, it says that the Pharisees and the scribes made people proselytes. They do not attribute this work to God. But what I want to really drive home is that the Pharisees and the scribes put a lot of work into multiplying a message of death and not life. And so for the sake of time, I want to ask two questions. Is there any part of you that does anything to be seen by others? And the second question is, is the message of the gospel worth going and telling someone to you? Is it worth that much? For I think Jesus would say yes. But oftentimes, I say no. So I'll leave you with those questions and let me me close in prayer.